and welcome back to the Audio DT with Reb T, the Audio Devar Torah with Reb T, the show where we talk about the Parsha of the week with some practical lessons to keep. We're talking Parsha's Va'eram in Sefer Shamos, Perek Zayin, Pasuk Chaf Tet. Fascinating alliteration, all the rhymes in the Pasuk to begin with. But the Pasuk says the frogs will go up and come into your house, into your bedchamber, into your bed and into your ovens. Moshe, of course, talking to Paro with the help of Aharon, talking about the Makos, we're moving over to the phase of the Egyptians being punished for their treatment of the Jews and Hashem showing that only Hashem is the one that controls everything in the world pointing into Mitzrayim and, and getting their Jews ready almost to leave Mitzrayim in a couple of parshiot. But the interesting thing is to learn from the Tzafar De'im, to learn from the frogs. The frogs jumped into the fire. They went up into the house, into the chamber, into the bed, into the ovens. The frogs jumped into the fire. Why? Because they were willing and they were doing and fulfilling the command and the will of Hashem. Obviously, animals, we don't know about the, 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 the nefesh idea inside an animal or not. We know, of course, the humans have nefeshot, but there might be some sort of, sort of an aspect of a, of a nefesh bahami they might have. There might be, we don't know about free will or whatnot related to them, but most likely not. Most likely they go about the habits, routines, and, and, and cycles that Hashem places into them. But even so, they jump literally into the fire because of the will of Hashem, fulfilling the will of Hashem, which is a fascinating idea to think about. And we think about, you know, the idea of fulfilling the, the word of Hashem even to the ends of the earth, even to the ends of our own lives, jumping into a fire. What does that remind you of? What is that cognizant of? What is it reminiscent of thinking about jumping into the fire? A frog jumping into the fire to fulfill the will of Hashem, even if it might kill itself. What does that remind us of? It reminds us of ourselves, of sacrificing our own lives for Hashem. The idea of jumping into the fire to sacrifice for Hashem. The idea of, of sacrifice for Hashem. We're going to talk about not just jumping into the fire, but living with the fire of Torah, living as self-sacrifice. Hashem commands us with His mitzvos and the, Torah, and the Torah itself as a guidebook how to live, how to follow in His ways, what to do on a daily basis. We're supposed to emulate Hashem. V'halachta bedrachav is a famous quote from the Torah, we're supposed to follow in his lay, the ways. The Torah implores us. And the Talmud, I believe, explains, follow Hashem. How? How can we emulate Hashem? How could we follow in his ways? If Hashem is like a burning fire, how can we cling and cleave to a burning fire? It's almost impossible. So the Gemara explains, I believe that we have to follow in the ways of Hashem. Whatever Hashem did and pointed out to us in the Torah, 
in Tanakh and throughout history, we have to follow what he did. Just as Hashem clothed the people who needed clothing, Adam and Chav, after they sinned and they realized that they were ashamed and they were embarrassed how they looked in, in public, Hashem clothed them. He sewed them clothing from fig leaves and he gave them the covering so that they would have their modesty back and they would have their dignity back. So too, we need to clothe people and help people in any area that they feel that they're bare, not just with giving them clothing, which is amazing. You think about clothing drives, Yad Lea, and all these other beautiful organizations that send coats and, and clothing and shoes and everything to kids, especially in Israel, who need it, who may not have it, but clothe people in what they need, in their resources, in their money, in time, in whatever they feel bare. If they feel emotionally wrecked, they feel financially wrecked or they feel otherwise wrecked, we have to help them and clothe them in what they need. As Hashem takes care of everything, so should we emulate Him to what we can. Hashem also visited the sick after Avram had his bris milah, after the third day when they say it's the most painful recuperation day, the third day Hashem came to visit him. And then of course Avram said, hold on Hashem, I gotta go get the guests. But Hashem came and spoke to him and, and comforted him and consoled him. So too, we too need to visit the sick. And you know, Hashem came to, to be Menachem Avil, when Avraham was sitting for Sarah and, and, and was eulogizing her. Who do you think came to be with Avraham? Of course, Hashem. Anything Hashem does, we need to do so as well. Hashem also buried the dead by Moshe. Who do you think buried the, buried Moshe at the end of the Torah? It was Hashem himself, and he covered up the the burial place, so no one knows where it is to this day. So too, we ourselves have to follow in Hashem's ways. We have to bury the dead. It's a real chesed shal emes. We are supposed to live a life of sanctifying God's name. We're supposed to live a life of self-sacrifice, doing for Hashem, doing for others, doing for our family, our spouses, our kids, and for everyone around us. We're supposed to live a life of sanctifying God's name by sacrificing our time, our effort, and our ability to do other things, to do exactly what we're supposed to for Hashem, for the world, through following the Torah, mitzvahs, and chesed, all the while fighting our evil inclination, destroying it every day. If a frog, which doesn't really have free will, which probably doesn't really have the choice in the matter, doesn't really have the seicha, doesn't really have the, the nefesh that we have, and just following the dictates of what Hashem put into its habits and routines, jumps into the fire willingly to fulfill the command of Hashem, Allah has come of a kama, how much more so we need to live. As self-sacrifice, excuse me. We need to live with sacrifice, living as self-sacrifice. So don't watch your 15,000 things. Just watch one and devote that time you would have used for Narshkite to do something better. Sacrifice that time. Yes, you would have bought $100 for yourself. Why don't you buy $10 for someone else? Yeah, you that fat paycheck, you're going to use it for your trip to Bermuda. Instead, why don't you use half of it Go up to the Poconos and donate the other half to Tzedakah. What can you do to sacrifice in your own life? If we could learn from a frog who's willing to sacrifice its own life, Kiviachal, on some level, what can we do in our own life? And we're going to talk more about living a life 
of self-sacrifice, sanctifying God's name. But think about people who did the extreme, the opposite extreme, dying on Kiddush Hashem. We think about Avraham, we think about Rabbi Akiva, we think about Hanani, Mishal, and Azariah. These are famous people who jumped into the fire to die on Kiddush Hashem, which is its own level, giving up life. We know the, the Gemara teaches us, the sages teach us, there are three things you must give up your life for rather than transgress, the big three we call them. Avodah Zarah, Shvichas Damim, and Arias. Idol worship, die rather than do. If, God forbid, we should never know from such things, someone was given the choice, that's what the choice would have to do. Murder, supposed to die rather than kill someone else. We should never know from such things. And immorality, supposed to die rather than do such things. We should never know from such things. The big three. But in other aspects, in other realms, these these great figures, these great Jewish history figures were challenged and they jumped in when it was necessary into the fire, the literal fire. Think about Avraham who jumped in the fire not knowing what would happen. Of course Avraham lived, but he didn't know that. He didn't rely on an ace. You can't you can't fully put your faith in an ace. You can't rely on a miracle. You can't assume anything will happen and base it on a miracle. The Medrash points out and Bereshus Rabbah, which I found on the Torah.com, but of course is found elsewhere, Safari and the like. At the core of the story of Or Kasdim, what appears to be a, what appears to be an illusion and an allegory to it, it's always fascinating. Why is it not actually in the actual Torah? Why not put such a beautiful to- story in the Torah? Wouldn't it be so inspiring to see it outright in the text? Wouldn't it be fascinating to see the actual story of the Or Kazdim in the actual text? But that's not what Hashem wanted. Hashem chooses exactly what He wants to be in the Torah, because the Torah is not a storybook. The Torah is not a law book. And the Torah is not a Musr book. The Torah is everything. It's a guidebook. As Rabbi Foreman explains in one of his series, Hashem puts exactly what He needs in the Torah for us to live through the Torah as a guidebook. So sometimes it's going to be muster, sometimes it's going to be tochacha, sometimes it's going to be stories like a lot of Barashas, and sometimes it's going to be different laws, lots of laws. It's it's put together as a guidebook. So obviously Hashem wanted it to be alluded to, but not outright, because He didn't want it to be just looking at such a story in such a way. But the Medrash talks about it, and it says... And and there's an allusion to it in the Pasuk. At the core of the story stands what appears to be a drasha on the name of Avraham's city. What is his city called? Or Kastim. Or of the Chaldeans, which was creatively interpreted by some ancient exegetes to mean literally or fire or flames. Thus, Beratius teaches in Perak Tedvav, Pasig Zayin, it's understood as saying, I am the Lord, I am Hashem, who rescued you from the midst of the fire of the Chaldeans. I am Hashem, telling Avram, who rescued you from the midst of the fire of that city. Fascinating, an allusion to that story. But the Medrash goes on to explain that Terach, Avraham's father, who was a big idol worshiper, there's also a famous Medrash story, that Avraham destroyed all of his his father's idols, and he said, Dad, what, you know, this one, destroy this one, this one, this one, this one. And, and his dad probably gives him a patch and says, what are you talking about? These people are, these, not people, God forbid, 
these things are stones. How could they lift up and, and, and hurt each other? And Avram says to his dad, if they can't even do that, why do you worship them? Why do you look up to them? They have no power. This is foolishness. And Terah obviously was very upset with Avram. He took him, Avram, and gave him over to Nimrod, who was like the king, the ruler at the time. He's known as a mighty hunter. In, uh, in Sefer Bereshus, it talks about him a little bit. He, he supposedly had like this cloak, this very famous cloak, a hunter's cloak, which might have come from Asa, which Asa might have got later on. And he's known as a mighty warrior, mighty hunter. So this Nimrod, the famous Nimrod, had Avraham given over to him by his own father, Terach. Nimrod says to him, Let us worship the fire. Avram says to him, Should we not then worship water, which extinguishes fire? Avram getting into a philosophical debate with Nimrod, and we don't even know how old he is at this time. He could have been a little kid. They say Avram might have recognized Hashem at three, even twelve, and, and he's still with Terach before he finds Saram. He could have been a little kid, and he's arguing with the, with the great, quote-unquote, great leader, warrior, hunter of the generation. So Avram says, shouldn't we worship water, which extinguishes fire? But Nimrod says to him, then let us worship the water. Avram said to him, should we not then worship the clouds, which carry the water? Nimrod says to him, then let us worship the cloud. Avram obviously pointing out to him, this all is foolishness, fallacy, because there's something else, something else to keep going to worship. So Avram said to him, if so, should we not then worship the wind, which scatters the clouds? Nimrod says to him, then let us worship the wind. Avram said to him, should we not then worship the human who withstands the wind? Nimrod says to him, you're merely piling words. We should bow to none other than the fire. I shall therefore cast you in it and let your God to whom you bow come and save you from it. Ironically enough, of course, God does save Avram. Haran, Avram's brother, was there, standing there. He was so inspired that he, he himself is going to jump in. But he had said to himself, what shall I do? If Avraham wins, I shall say, I am of Avraham's followers. If Nimrod wins, I shall say, I am of Nimrod's followers. When Avraham went into the furnace and survived, Haran then was asked, whose follower are you? And then only then is he Avraham's follower. Maybe that's why on some level he didn't make it, because he only would believe if there was a miracle. But if he truly believed, maybe. That's why they say, Hanani, Mishael, and Zaryam, they didn't rely on the miracle. They said, if Hashem saves us, great. If not, not. But we're not going to rely on the nais. We can't rely on miracles. But anyway, Haran was asked, whose follower are you? And he answers, after Avram is saved, I am Avram's follower. So they took him. They threw him into the furnace. His innards were burned, Lo'olinu, and he died, Lo'olinu. And he predeceased Terach, his father. This is the meaning of the verse, and Haran died in the lifetime of his father, Terach. A fascinating story, but teaching us that Avram was willing to die for his principles, to die al Kiddush Hashem, to die a sacrifice. But of course, he lived after that, and he lived so much al self-sacrifice. He went, he taught so many. Avram, of course, one of my favorite characters in all of Tanakh, in all of the Torah, was the epitome of chesed, which is a, an aspect of Judaism that very much speaks to me. I talk about this all the time in all my shows. We should do whatever we can to sacrifice. He literally had to sacrifice his son almost. Akedas Yitzchak, his pinnacle of pinnacles, the top test. Hashem doesn't address him after this anymore because that was the zenith. The article notes point out in the Chumash. That was his pinnacle, that was the top. Almost sacrificing his son. So Avram knows from sacrifice. He had to send away 
Ishmael. He had to do the kings, the four of the five kings to save Lot. He had to banish Lot. He banished Hagar. He had to go down to Mitzrayim, and then he had um, Hagar, excuse me, he had Sarum kidnapped twice. He had a lot of sacrifices, a lot of tests. We think about Yaakov having a hard life, but you know, Yitzchak and Avram also had a very tough life, sacrificing for the sake of Judaism, sacrificing for the sake of the Torah, the sake of Hashem, and then ultimately being tested with almost dying Al-Kiddush Hashem, the idea, but we're supposed to live Al-Kiddush Hashem, which we'll talk about in a sec. We also think about Rabbi Akiva and the Asara Harugimalkos, the terrible, terrible story of the horrific death of the ten martyrs, which the Romans pretended was really because of uh, Yosef, the sale of Yosef, and they felt like they never were justly punished, so they were going to be in, in standing of this, which is a crazy idea to begin with. But of course, they're very barbaric and cruel, the Romans. Anyway, we think about Rabbi Akiva and the ten martyrs who gave up their life for Hashem. We think about the frogs who jumped into the flames, Lahavdil, because Hashem said so. It is one very high level to die for Hashem but a very different, maybe harder in some ways, level to live every day, Al-Kiddush Hashem. I think about the story of Mar Okra and his wife from the Gemara. I forget which Gemara it is. We've brought it up in, in some of the lecture series, but Mar Okra and his wife were very involved in Sadaka and Chesed and giving out to the poor people. They would give out every day, every day. One of the people they gave to, one of the poor people, was very determined, very curious who their benefactor was. We know that the highest level of tzedakah is to give someone a job. You teach him how to fish, he'll never have to feed him again. He'll learn how to how to fish the rest of his life. He'll learn how to take care of him. The phrase goes, you teach a man how to fish, you never have to feed him. You feed a man a fish, he can eat for the day. But you teach him how to fish, you never have to feed him again. He'll know how to do it. So you give a person a job that's the best so they can be self-sufficient, so they could be independent and functional for themselves and for their lives and for their whole family. But under that, the second highest level is when it's anonymous both ways. When you give to someone that you don't know, and they get from you, and they don't know who they're getting from. So Marukva and his wife would go around giving to people. I guess he was told who was poor. And even so, it's still better if one way is anonymous, at least. Even if the person giving knows, the person receiving shouldn't know. But the poor person really wanted to know who it was. So one day, Marukva and his wife were a little late doing their tzedakah rounds, giving the tzedakah, the Gemara explains. And, and you know, he had to catch up. His, his wife was ahead of him. He, catched up. he was catching up to him. And, and the poor person realized that his money was coming differently than the other days. And he felt like, oh my gosh, I now finally have the chance to catch them. So Marukva and his wife are on the way to deliver the money. Also teaches the, exist, the, the fundamental aspect of doing things together, being one unit. The, the husband and the wife, even the great, great, great sages would agree to be best friends, to be partners. The husband and wife, what a classic example. Marukva and his wife doing things together. Not one person or the other person doing it, but going together. Which I think is a beautiful thing. So they're going around and the poor person realizes this is my chance to see who my benefactor is. So he runs out. Mark and his wife drop off the money and they're they're running, but they feel like someone's following them. You know when you feel like someone's eyes are on you? You feel like someone's watching you? Sometimes you have that eerie feeling. Your hair stands on end on, the, on your neck and, and on your hands and, and on your skin. And you feel like someone's watching you. So maybe they felt someone was watching them. And they say, uh-oh, I do not want him to know on any level that we gave it to them. So they're running, running. They're trying to find a place to hide. And they literally have nowhere to go. They jump into a fiery furnace. 
a fiery oven just so the poor person wouldn't be able to identify them, wouldn't be able to to find them because the Gemara, the sages explain, it is better to jump into a fiery furnace than to embarrass your friend in public. Also, the idea of Tamar and Yehuda, she waited to the last second to send the signet, to send the staff, to send the goats to the person who she was with, Yehuda, her own father-in-law, because she said, if he acknowledges, great. If not, I'd rather be brought to death than to shame someone in life. And that's the idea. The law, really, in Judaism, how it's better to jump into a fire, better to die on some level than to embarrass someone publicly because you're making their face change colors. You're making them have their own public emotional embarrassment, kind of a death in a way. Better to do that. All these ideas, all these people jumping into the fiery furnace, dying al Kiddush Hashem, of course, Mar Okva and his wife were saved, and the story ends that Mar Okva's feet were singed, but his wife was not. And the question is why? And the Gemara explains because Mar Okva's wife was a little more involved, a little more, a little more fastidious with being involved in it, and she would get to the money and the food for the poor people a little faster than Mar Okva. So she was fully involved in the chesed, so her whole self, her whole body was saved from the fire, but Mar Okva had a little bit of singe because he was a little tiny little less level than his wife. Of course, no one to judge, just what the Gemara says. Fascinating. Anyway, so we find these different people dying Al-Kiddush Hashem, or almost dying Al-Kiddush Hashem, but it's a very different level, maybe a harder level in, in some ways, many ways, to live every day Al-Kiddush Hashem. The frogs listened to what Hashem said. They fulfilled their commands. Some of them jumped into the fire because that's what Hashem said. And that's it. That was the end. But what if they would have to keep going and keep going and keep going for how many days the maka was? And what about us who have to keep going and keep going and keep going every day of our lives to live Al-Kiddush Hashem rather than just jump one time into the flame could be much harder on many different levels. Living every day Al-Kiddush Hashem could be much harder. Look at what Rabbi Fran points, Rabbi Fran points out on Torah.org. He says that the Shem and Atov explains that there are two types of Kiddush Hashem, sanctification of Hashem's name. There are two types, two ways to do this. One type is dying with Mesiris Nefesh, Lo'alena, we shouldn't have to do such things, with self-sacrifice, dying with self-sacrifice. The other type is living with Mesiris Nefesh, living with self-sacrifice. Nachshon, for example, was willing to give up his life. Nachshon ben Aminadam jumped into the water, he kept walking to the water, because why wasn't the sea splitting at Kriyat Yamsev? Moshe was davening, everybody was terrified, the Egyptians were coming, and Hashem says to Moshe, now is not the time to daven. There's a time for everything, Shalom HaMalch points out. Eight Lerkod, Eight Levkos, there's a time to dance, a time to, to, to sing, like Shweki's song famously teaches us, Lahavdom. But when Moshe was at the water, Hashem's like, somebody needs to take action. We're missing a tiny bit of, 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 of merit for this to happen. So Nachshon, the leader of Yehuda, gets up. Yehuda is known as a leader. The kingship comes from Yehuda. Fascinating that he himself jumps into the water from Yehuda, but maybe he had it in his DNA. He jumps into the water. He's walking, he's walking. The water's up to his, his knees and then his waist and then his chest. And then it's up to his neck. It's literally up to his mouth where he almost came. Can't breathe anymore, and then in that merit, this sea splits. So Nachshon is also literally going with Messias Nefesh, literally about to give up his life just so the Jews can get safety. 
and the sea splits. So he was willing to give up his life, but once someone is Moser Nefesh, Al-Kiddush Hashem, once they give up their life, they give up their soul, it's over. It's all done. A person doesn't need to live, quote-unquote, with the consequences because he is dead. He is called a holy one. He is destined to receive great reward in the next world, Rabbi Friend explains through the Shem and Hatov. However, living Al-Pikidosh Hashem, living a life of sanctification of God's name, of self-sacrifice, is even more difficult than giving up one's life, dying Al-Pikidosh Hashem, dying with self-sacrifice. Yosef knew exactly what the ramifications of his deed were going to be. Yosef was, was being asked by Potiphar's wife day in and day out, day in and day out, to 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 be in a in a not good situation, to be with the wife in a not good situation at all. And one day, you know, one day there was no one there and it was very exceedingly difficult and the wife asked and he ran out leaving a garment in his hand, which was the garment of his undoing. He knew very well the incident would not end there. In fact, she accused him to others, and he was thrown in jail. He wound up in prison. There was no parole for good behavior in the Egyptian prison system. As far as he knew, he was going to remain in the dungeon for the rest of his life. At that time, he was a very young man. He was looking at spending the rest of his life in unspeakable conditions, but he was willing to give everything up just so not to succumb to sin. That's the idea of living Al-Kiddush Hashem. Even though he lost everything, he was in the lowest dredges of society, but of course Hashem put Chain in his personality, and he was placed in charge of the prison, then he interpreted the dreams, and then he came before Paro, and obviously he, re- he rose to greatness. But living Al-Kiddush Hashem, you don't lose living for self-sacrifice, living the Torah lifestyle, living to be an inspiration to others. You never lose doing Kiddush Hashem things. And if someone dies for Kiddush Hashem, it's a very high level, but it ends there. So Rabbi Fran points out with the the Shemana Tov that it's a very different level. It could be much harder level in, in some ways to live every day with sanctification of God's name, and we have to try to do that. Leonardo, we need to try to do what we can every day to live in such a way, living with sanctification of God's name and living with self-sacrifice. And we learn that the idea of sacrifice from a frog, a little creature that did Hashem's bidding, jumping into that fire. We need to jump in the fire of our lives every day. Not, not well, Leno have to know from dying with Kedesh Hashem, which was a major test throughout the generations, especially in the Holocaust and World War II. Leno, so many people, and throughout the years and throughout the, the wars and the terrors that's been in Israel and around the world, so many examples. But for the, for the regular person, for me and you, who hopefully never will have to know from such a thing, living every day, Al-Kiddush Hashem is a real way we need to be. Michal Horowitz, the famous speaker, points out on her website, michalhorowitz.com, that Rabbi Soloveitchik writes at Sal that there are two ways in which the toll sacrifice is implemented, the physical and the experiential. While the need for sacrifice was established as an iron law in Jewish history, this command finds its expression in one of two ways. At times, man is called upon to sacrifice on a physical altar atop some mountain, the way God summoned Avraham to do, but thank God he was able to come out from Orchasm and to come out with his son. At times, man is called upon to sacrifice himself, 
to to God in the recesses of his personality. So sometimes it's physical with the body, and sometimes it's emotionally or inside our own traits we have to work on. At times, the sacrifice for the divine name consists of physical agony, pain, and extinction of life. And at times of spiritual surrender, humility, and resignation, the surrender and resignation of my will to God's will. Hence, Michal Harwitz continues and points out, we frequently admonish our children, each other, and ourselves to make a Kiddush Hashem. Michal Harwitz also points out, it happened one time that the Chavitz Chaim sent his son on a mission. The Chavitz Chaim warned his son to be careful as to how he acts. For were he to act in a fashion which was even slightly inappropriate for a Torah scholar, it would be a great desecration of God's name. Many times in the Gemara, a scholar says, if I do this, it would be considered a Chil Hashem. If I walked a few feet without doing Torah, it would be a sanctification, uh, excuse me, a, desecration, a desecration of God's name. For each sage, each person, there is an aspect of what would be considered a Chil Hashem. Rav Panzatzal relates that the son said to his saintly father, but father, I am not a Talmud Chacham, Torah scholar, I am but a simple Jew. To which the Chavitz Chaim replied, for Chil Hashem, you're enough of a Talmud Chacham. She continues and says, Ms. Horowitz, we have opportunities every single day, perhaps even every hour, to sanctify God's name in our daily lives. And when it comes to living al Kedesh Hashem, we are all enough of Talmud Chachamim. A woman told Ms. Horowitz a story that happened to her much more relevantly recently. Everything is relevant, but much more modernly happening very recently. A story that happened every day she would drive to work and every day she would park her car in Brooklyn on Atlantic Avenue in what is commonly known as not such a good neighborhood. I personally can attest to that. I've worked in exact such areas and can definitely attest to what they mean by not such a good neighborhood. It just so happened that every day when she got out of her car, this woman, she would see a certain man who sat on a stoop right near where she parked. Every day she parked and got out of her car. Every day the same man was sitting there. One day she began to say hello, good morning to this person. And so now every day when she drove to work, she would park on Atlantic Avenue in a not such a good neighborhood. She would get out of her car and see this man. And every day she made sure to say hello and good morning to him. One day she left work, and as she walked back to her car, she saw that all of the cars, every single car parked on that block, had their car windows smashed. All the cars except for her car. She could not believe her luck, quote-unquote, or her hashkacha pratis, I would say, quote-unquote. And there, on the stoop, was the man. She said to him incredulously, what happened here? And he looked at her and replied, when they were breaking the car windows, they got to your car. And I looked at them and said, do not touch that car. And they didn't. For living Al-Kiddush Hashem, we are all enough of Talmidei Chachamim, Michal Horowitz points out. Doesn't have to be something really grand doesn't have to be something really grandiose. doesn't have to be anything extravagant. just needs to be simple, wonderful, beautiful, kind acts that you could do. She, all this lady did was say hello, good morning to this man sitting on the stoop and her car was saved, even though every single car on the rest of the block was destroyed. Saying hi, good morning 
to the mailman, to the cashier, to the security guard at your kid's school, to the crossing guard, to the barista, to the toll worker, to anyone you interact with, anyone you talk to, you call someone, anyone you, you, you speak to or interact with or you see, they should all be treated with derech eretz, derech eretz kadmala Torah, and derech eretz is a way to sanctify God's name. You walk around, if you're a kind person, an honest person, a trustworthy person, and a happy, joyous person to be around, especially when working with non-Jewish people, you make the world brighter and you show that you could live and walk al Kiddush Hashem. Chabad.org points out, from the Talmud in Psachim 53b, what led Hananiah, Mishal, and Azariah, the three friends of Daniel, who were in the fiery furnace, to deliver themselves for the sanctification of the divine name to the fiery furnace? This is seen in Daniel chapter 3. Also, crazy story. The whole Daniel has a lot of crazy stories in a good way, but very interesting stuff. They were told that the, the, the ruler of the time, I forget which ruler it was, made a decree that everyone should bow down to him or to idols, and they said no. And, you know, there were different challenges, and he wanted them to eat non-kosher, but they would only eat, like, barley or, or seeds or something for 10 days, and they got even more robust appearance, even healthier appearance than everyone else, because they were living on Kedosh Hashem. You know, they wouldn't eat the non-kosher, the treif, and then they wouldn't bow down, reminding us of the story of Mordechai in Esther, which is coming up in a couple of weeks. Parim, talking about the Miglas Esther story, everyone else wouldn't bow down. Everyone would bow down to, to Haman, but not Mordechai. And people give him a lot of flack. Why cause trouble? Why are you making things wrong? But Mordechai refused to give in to the idolatry of bowing down to a human, bowing down to him. And of course, we know how the story unfolds. But here, Hanani, Minishal, and Azar would not debase themselves to do that. And they and they were being thrown into the fire furnace. And the Navi talks about, Rabbi Rosner points out in his, in his Navi Shir, that, he, that the... the the wicked king, the wicked fireman, made it seven times hotter than usual, just to to give a zets, just to show his anti-Semitism, maybe, just to be harsh, cruel, and evil. And even the people setting up the fire were singed by the by just the heat of it. So, what made them deliver themselves for the sanctification of the divine name to the fiery furnace? They argued to themselves and they said, We're not going to be relying on an ace. If Hashem saves us, good. If not, then this is what Hashem needed. This is what we needed to do to sanctify ourselves for Kiddush Hashem. They argued to themselves, If frogs, which are not commanded concerning the sanctification of the divine name, yet it is written of them, they shall come up and go into your ovens, literally our Pusik we started with today, tonight, they shall come up and go into your ovens. We, who are commanded, Concerning the sanctification of the name, of the divine name, how much the more so? Hananiah, Mishal, and Azariah knew from the Pasig we talked about to learn from the example of the frogs. The frogs were told to jump in. They don't have commandments, they don't have the Torah, but yet they still did it. They went into the ovens. Allah has kama how much more so Hanani Mishal and Azariah think we need to do the divine command. We need to jump into the fire. We need to be thrown into the fire. Whatever happens, happens. But we know we're doing a Kiddush Hashem. We're not giving up on our laurels. We're not giving up on our beliefs. And that's dying Kiddush Hashem. But it's even more so to live a Kiddush Hashem. The Labavitcher Rebbe points out from Chabad.org, self-sacrifice.
is not just the willingness to die for one's beliefs. It is the way in which one lives for one's beliefs. It is the willingness to sacrifice oneself, one's desires, one's preconceptions, one mo one's most basic inclinations. Indeed, the Hebrew term for self-sacrifice, Mesiris Nefesh, which means both giving of life and giving of will. Mesiris Nefesh, he is such Mesiris Nefesh for Torah. He pushes himself, he pushes off his own needs in order to do the needs of Hashem, the needs of the Torah, of the mitzvahs and chesed, giving of life, giving of will. Thus the lesson of self-sacrifice is derived from a frog, the frog from our Karan Parsha, our Pasuk that we started with. The lesson of self-sacrifice is derived from a frog, a cold-blooded creature who enters a burning oven. The ultimate test of faith goes beyond the issue of life and death. It is the ability to transcend one's very nature for the sake of a higher truth. The ability and the responsibility to transcend one's own nature, one's own inclination, one's own habits, and one's own midots and traits for the sake of a higher truth. We can do simple things in all of our days, like greeting people warmly, having a smile on our face, asking people hi, how are you when talking to them, the mailman, the garbage man, the barista, anyone you interact with? When you call someone for something, you're calling a company, you're calling a service, even a need like a bill or an insurance question, why don't you open up saying hi, good morning, or good afternoon, or good evening, how are you today? I can't tell you personally how many times people were taken aback by that very question? They were almost about to hang up because they never were asked that. They never were introduced to a conversation when working for Verizon or working for ADT or working for AT&T or whatever. They were taken aback by that very question. I asked before asking for anything that I wanted to ask about or talk to them about. And chances are that they're actually more likely to help you and to accede to whatever you need. Or, or need help for when you talk like that, especially in a soft tone and a soft manner, also indicative of living in a nice and kind way. When you interact kindly for others, when you do for others, when you cook for others, when you give to others, Anything you do can leave that imprint of kindness, can leave that imprint of self-sacrifice, being a shining example of a shining light to everyone around you. A kind, small act, like even a small act, like leaving a book left on someone's doorstep who had a hard day, and you leave a book that'll let them smile, or they, that will give them menuchat nefesh or menuchat guf to have pleasantry to the rest of their day, shows small acts of kindness living a sanctified life where you care about others when you have others in mind you can live a sanctified life it makes me think of 
you know, people in my own life growing up, like my dad, who were very good at keep taking care of others, looking out for others, and was everyone's doctor, and, and live a life of self-sacrifice, trying to do so much for so many people. It reminds me of our community, Rav, who unfortunately just passed away, and did so much for others, was sacrificed so much of his time, of his effort, of his own family time, in order to do for others. He would travel all the way up to Canada just to make a shiva call for five minutes, meaning he would have to turn right around to come back in time just for Shabbos. What a sanctified life. What a walking Kiddush Hashem a person like that could be when you sacrifice all of that to do mitzvahs, to do chesed, to do the Torah lifestyle for those around you. We don't have to be the most saintly people in the most saintly positions. We could do simple, kind things. Talking to those around us, interacting with those around us, being kind to those around us. Any small little thing, you know, you're going out to the store, you're buying a coffee anyway. Why not get a coffee for the person next to you? He's working so hard. You take your lunch. He can't take lunch. Just bring him back something. That's living a sanctified method. Living a sanctified life, thinking about others when you put others first. When you're selfless, you could live as self-sacrifice. You could live with not just thinking about your own ego, your own self. You could live with having a purview of those around you. We could do simple things to help those around us. Small acts of kindness, living a sanctified life, a self-sacrificed life to help those around us. There's an amazing website that I came across called Living Kiddush Hashem. You have to check out this website. It's Fantastic. It's livingkiddushhashem.org. L-I-V-I-N-G-K-I-D-D-U-S-H-H-A-S-H-E-M.org. Livingkiddushhashem.org. Please go to that website right when we're done. You have to see this online in person. The goal of this website is to know, and I quote, that the world is watching you. Of course, Hashem is watching you, but everyone around you, especially the non-Jewish societies around us, the world is watching you. Make a Kiddush Hashem. Learn from the frog to sacrifice. Learn from our historic Jewish personalities before us how to sacrifice. Not having to do it in death, but in living Kiddush Hashem. Represent the Jewish people. Living Kiddush Hashem, they explain, was founded with the goal of imbuing every Jew with a powerful sense of mission. The mission to be Mekadesh Shem Shemayim, to sanctify God's name in his or her own unique way. You can sanctify God's name in your own unique way. We accomplish this by raising awareness, they explain on the website, of the paramount importance of the mitzvah of Kiddush Hashem, sanctifying God's name and its centrality in everything we do. They explain that every interaction we have is a golden opportunity, a beautiful moment to inspire those around us. Make a Kiddush Hashem. Sanctify God's name. Do what you can. If you have a talent for something, use it in a Torah way. I always use the example how I always loved radio. I always loved audio. I used to use it for Narshkart in college. But then when the idea came a few years ago, we tried to switch it and use it in a way that maybe on some tiny level can make the world brighter, kinder, more helpful, more, more, you know, 
inspirational and uplifting in some way, we can make a tiny sanctification of God's name, then that's a method to do so. You have an idea for a book that can inspire people, do it. Article, do it. Ashir, do it. Whatever you can to be Mekadashim Shemaim, do it. And on smaller levels, if you have an idea for a card or a slogan, anything that can make the world brighter, inspire those around you, make the world brighter, make the world more sanctified by seeing what beauty is in Judaism and that we could bring to the world, do it. Bring whatever you can. Do it in your own unique way. The website also talks about, but I talk about it all the time on all my shows. We have to bring our traits, our talents, our capabilities to our lives. No one else is going to do it. Perkeos points out, if I don't stand up and do it, who's going to do it? Hillel points out to us. Perkeos also points out, who's going to do it? Who's going to be the man or woman if not you? No one has your exact views, your exact ideas. No one else is going to do it the way you would have done it. You need to do it. There never was a person like you. There is no one like you now exactly. And there will never be another person like you in the future. I always say you need to do it. In your own way, you could be Mekadish Shem Shemayim. The website also points out Rav Matis Yahu Salomon, the Mashkiach Ruchani, the spiritual advisor, the spiritual head in some way is how we would translate it, of Base Medrash Gavoh of Lakewood, a big yeshiva, a big study seminary in Lakewood, New Jersey, says that, and I quote from the website, Nowadays it is vital for every Jew to be committed to increasing the degree of Kiddush Hashem in the world and avoiding the desecration of Hashem's name at all costs. That is Klal Yisrael's mission. That is the Jewish nation's mission at this juncture in history. This website has amazing programs and a curriculum, and you can subscribe to a weekly email of inspiration, news, and volunteer opportunities. I just signed up, and I hope you should as well. They have amazing stuff on their website. They also have these adorable but fascinating Kiddush Hashem cards to inspire us in our days as well as downloadable paraphernalia. I saw this website. It struck a very strong chord with me, a very passionate chord with me. I want to share with you some of the Kiddush Hashem cards I saw, which would be so good, so amazing to use in yeshivot, to use in schools, to use in organizations, to use in daily life and in communities and in shuls and all over the place. One of them says, On November 13th, 2013, CNN the news network picked up a story about a Connecticut rabbi, Noah Moroff, Rabbi Noah Moroff, who returned $98,000 in cash he found in a plastic bag hidden behind drawers of an ordinary office desk he bought on Craigslist in September. Wow, what a beautiful Kiddush Hashem. What will be your Moroff? moment. Everyone has the opportunity every day to make a difference in some small way. What can you do to be Mekadeh Shem Shemayim? Somebody left a scarf and you run up and give it back to them. Someone dropped their phone, you run up and give it back to them. Someone dropped a few dollars and run to give it back to them, even though other people might pocket it, other people might take it and just leave it, other people might do whatever. Like they show, what would you do? They showed an example of someone who lost a check and the only person to pick it up and find the owner was a Jewish person, Orthodox. Beautiful Kiddush Hashem. Another one of these beautiful Kiddush Hashem cards with the help of Project Light explains, Kiddush Hashem, 
a famous quote from Rabbeinu Yonah. Kiddush Hashem is the core mission of the Jewish people. We are all members of the Jewish people. So for each one of us, a core mission in whatever way we can do is Kiddush Hashem. Rabbeinu Yonah says, again, Kiddush Hashem is the core mission of the Jewish people. Do you drive like a mensch? Do you greet people warmly? Pirkei Elva says, greet people warmly with a happy face, a joyous countenance, a smile on your face. Do you conduct business honestly? As you go about your day, you will encounter and influence many people, wife, kids, work, friends, etc. Your facial expressions, the way you handle money, the way you drive, your pleas and thank you are watched by all. Let those interactions be sweet, leaving a trail of true Kedesh Hashem. Gemara Numa points out Hashem's name should be beloved because of you. Also brings to mind the story of a guy who I said in one of the shirim recently, he got a license plate that says Torah. And different instances occurred when people were telling him, you know, if you have that on your license plate, you really need to step up your game. And one time, you know, he got so frustrated, he wanted to take it down. And and his wife was like, you'd rather take down the plate than change your behavior. If that's what's on your car, you need to step up to the game. You need to be a, a driving Kiddush Hashem. If people see your, your, your yarmulke, which a lot of people have told me is like a skull cap, they don't even know what it is. Some kids that I work with think it's like a hat. And I say, no, this is this is my special type of head covering to remind me. I don't really go into the whole detail, but if they wanted to, it's to remind us that Hashem is above us. To remind us that we're supposed to represent the Jewish people, represent Hashem in everything we do. We're supposed to be held to a higher standard to do higher standard things, to bring wonderful things to the world. Another one explains, imagine another one of these beautiful Kiddush Hashem cards explains, imagine from the website, Living Kiddush Hashem, Imagine there's a little guy following you around. Kalman, the Kiddush Hashem cop, cop with a K. And there's a cut, a very cute caricature of a Jewish cop with like sunglasses, dark sunglasses, and sits with a K on his cap on top. He's your friendly reminder to walk the walk, be a walking advertisement for the Jewish people. Ask yourself, am I really behaving like a light to the nations, an orla goyim? We're supposed to be a light to the nations, a kingdom of priests and ministers to the people to light up the way, to light up the world. Am I doing what I can to be a light to the nations every day, throughout the day? Do I drive like a mensch? Do I behave like a mensch? Do I talk like a mensch? Do I dress like a mensch? Do I have mannerisms like a mensch? Do I go out of my way to open doors for strangers? Do I say thank you when being helped? It's so Easy, but so few people do it. Please and thank you. It's like manners were taught when we're kids. How many people have please and thank you coming off of their lips all the time? That needs to be something that we do. Every day you have the opportunity to be an ambassador for Hashem and His Torah. The entire world wants to know how the Torah has impacted God's chosen people. Are they refined, pleasant people? Are they kind and sensitive? Wouldn't you rather be a Kiddush Hashem? A further one explains that each of us has many opportunities to make a Kiddush Hashem. Simple interactions you have with family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, cashiers, or even bus drivers can really inspire, or God forbid, uninspire them. They're expecting elegant, holy behavior, and they should. 
your Kiddush Hashem might not necessarily be picked up by the news or the radio or CNN or anyone, but Hashem knows and you know. Think about simple ideas such as keep your phone on silent at dinner, in the store, around others when you're talking to people at meetings. Be super honest in business. Greet people with a smile. When will you cash in on your Kiddush Hashem opportunity? We have the ability and need to do good to those around us, sanctifying Hashem's name. If all of the creatures in Hashem's will, a little frog can jump into the fire just to fulfill Hashem's command, what can we do to fulfill Hashem's command to live on sacrifice, to live a life of sacrifice, to live al Kedesh Hashem? What can we do? It could be simple, sweet actions or simple, kind actions, but it all starts with you. What will you do today to make the world better in simple ways? What will you do today to start living your life every day, Blineder, al Kedesh Hashem? It all starts with you. This has been the Audio DT with Reb T, and I'm your host, Reb T.